It's time for another edition of Family Life Today, presented by Power to Change, known in America as Family Life. Welcome. We trust you'll find today's program interesting and hope it will be a great encouragement to you and your own family situation. So let's join our presenters, Dave and Ann Wilson. So do you know the love languages of our three boys? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think CJ, CJ's number gifts, one. No doubt. He is gifts. He is still gifts. Yeah. He's always been gifts. I feel like people, that's an easy one to give in terms of like, you know, they're gifts. So it's just like, oh, I'm going to get this for him. And he's. I'm gifts too. I like that. No, you're not gifts. I think Austin is time. Yep. I think he is just like time with you is well spent. And I think Cody is words of affirmation. And I think you are words of affirmation. I think I'm all five. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've got Gary Chapman in the studio today with us, the author of The Five Love Languages. We were just talking 30-some years ago. It came out, Gary. But welcome back to Family Life today. Well, thank you. Always good to be back with you guys. I mean, we were just talking about how that book has changed our life, our marriage, our parenting, and millions of others. And I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, tens of millions of others, which is unbelievable that God has blessed it in such a way that it sold a bunch in year one, but it's still selling more and more each year. You know, I'm amazed at how God has used that book. <laughs> As you're, you're right, right. Every year it sells more than the year before. Because this is one of our deepest emotional needs, mm-hmm. is the need to feel loved by right. the significant people in our lives. And if you're married, the person who would most like to love you is your spouse. You know, and that book, the first book, original, was just talking about the marriage relationship. And so I think people read it and the lights come on and they realize, oh, that's what happened. You know, we weren't speaking the right language. When couples get that in the marriage, they begin connecting. Yeah. And they fill up each other's love tank. The same principle, of course, is true in parent-child relationships. And that's why, you know, I remember a young 13-year-old. He'd run away from home. He ended up in my office. And he said to me, my parents don't love me. They love my brother. They don't love me. I knew his parents. I knew they loved him. (laughs) The problem is they had never discovered his love language, and they weren't speaking his love language. Mm. They were sincere. You know, they did love him, but he wasn't getting it emotionally. And that's why this is so important in terms of parent-child relationship. Yeah. So people would ask me, well, now, when they get to be teenagers, does their love language change? And I said, I don't think it changes, but you have to learn new dialects of whatever their language is, because what you've been doing, they now consider childish. Mm. So if uh, words of affirmation is their language, you've got to get some new words. You can't say, you sweet little thing, you know, I just love you, you're so sweet. You know? <laughs> That's kid stuff, yeah. yeah. Don't talk like that to me. You've got to get more, more adult words. And the same thing with physical touch. You demonstrated this in a program we were talking before when you said, you know, your 12-year-old, 13-year-old said, don't, 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 don't touch me. And so, you know, when they're 9 and 10, you can go out on the field with them and you can hug them after the game in front of everybody. They just eat it up. You do that when they're a teenager. They go, Mama, don't do that, Mama. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, <laughs> they still need touch. And so what happens, Gary, though, what we do is as parents, we pull away. We stop doing it. Yeah, You're yeah. saying you just have to shift it. Absolutely. If touch is their language, they still need touch. You just do it in private, Mm. and you maybe give them high fives instead of hugging them every time. Mm. And another factor with teenagers is the emotional part of the brain in the teenage years is super, super active. So they're going like a roller coaster. (laughs) You know, in the morning, if their language is physical touch, you can probably hug them, and they'll just hug you back, you know. 
and you in the afternoon you try to hug them and say, oh, no, 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 don't do that. You know? Because you don't know what's happened during the daytime. And their emotions are affected by their circumstances. So they had a bad day or something happened today. You know, they don't they just don't want to be touched right now. So we have to be sensitive to that. But uh, I don't think the love language changes in the teenage years. But I do think you have to learn new ways of expressing, which I call dialects, mm-hmm. new dialects of their language. Really yeah, wise. and you've written about it in your latest book, Things I'd Wish I'd Known Before My Child Became a Teenager. Let's walk through those five, you know. In fact, we had some fun before you came in here, Gary. Our, our team, they put together the five love languages that teenagers show toward their parents. Hmm. And I might have thrown in a little help as well. <laughs> uh, teens uh, uh, throw back sarcasm. <laughs> Eye rolls. Number three, procrastination. <laughs> Know-it-all-ism. Uh, or hiding behind my phone. Or here's, a, here's an, an extra sixth one. The bonus one is the dad joke unappreciation love language. Underappreciation. <laughs> Underappreciation, yeah. They don't appreciate our dad jokes anymore. Anyway, those are just jokes. But Yeah, I, I mean, wouldn't call those love languages, but I would say they're true. <laughs> yes. And every parent just heard those and thought, yes, yes, yes. How do I That's get what I beyond get that? From my teen. Yeah. But you've already talked about physical touch with a teenager is different yeah. than with a 10-year-old or a yeah. 5-year-old. Words of affirmation. How would you edit that or have a different dialect as they hit the the teen years? Yeah, I think in the teenage years, you have to use more adult words to them. They need affirming words, but you're looking for things about them. You know, I noticed at the ball game the other night when John missed that shot, you went over there and you encouraged him. Man, you know he felt badly about missing the shot. That's good, man. When you give an encouraging word to somebody, that's just super. So you look for things that they're doing that you can really affirm. You you wouldn't have said that when they were five years old, but you're saying it now. You're looking for things that they're involved in now and affirming them for things that they're doing now. Or, you know, to say, hey, I really appreciate you taking the trash out. You know, uh, that that was very meaningful to me. It's looking for things around the house that the teen's doing that you can affirm them for. So I think it's just looking for different kind of words. Yeah. Uh, so, so you've got the physical touch. You've got the words. You now, got... with the words, how do you balance truth-telling? Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to come out negative or harsh, but, you know, their teenagers are making, like you said, they're up and down. They yeah. may be making some poor decisions. You need to speak not affirming words. Let's at say, times, how do you balance Let's that? give an example. Let's say this teenager's in the kitchen. It feels like every time they're in the kitchen, they leave a huge mess. Everything's out. They made a sandwich. The that bread's can't out. be one of our kids. It, all, no. the, <laughs> all the cupboards are open. There's junk everywhere. And then they leave their dishes in the yeah. other room. I think what you do is you affirm them for something that is positive about them. Uh, you say, you know, John, I, I just want to share this with you. I appreciate the fact that you and you tell them something that you really appreciate about them. And can I just give you one one suggestion that would make you even better? Mm. And then you tell them the thing that you think would make them better mm. about, you know, leaving stuff in the kitchen, whatever, you know. Yeah. So I think that way you've affirmed them. Like when a, with adults I'm talking to, I say, if a wife's going to bring up something that her husband needs to change, tell him three things you like about him first. Mm. And then tell him. Does he ever go, okay, okay, <laughs> it's coming. You're our number two. So. <laughs> but you're saying it still helps. Yeah. 
It's exactly what God did. Remember in, uh, I think it's Revelation 2, the church at Ephesus, God said, you're doing great at yeah. this and this and this, told them three things they yeah. were doing right. And yeah. then he said one thing. Serving the poor, yeah. caring for the needy, <laughs> and then you've lost your first love. Yeah, yeah. So it's a principle. You mm. know, to do, do that with teenagers, just like you would do it with your spouse. Yeah. Tell them something, you, two or three things you like about them, and then say, you know, here's one thing that would make you much, much better, or something mm. that I would really, now, really appreciate. Now, if you say the one thing and they go... <laughs> All you ever do is and they eye roll. Yeah. And you're sitting there thinking, I just said three positives and one negative. Do you just keep coming back? Yeah. First of, all, first of all, you let that response go. You don't clobber them on the head for having that kind of response. You just ignore it. They're being human. Mm. They're being human. Okay. You let that response go. They're going to walk away and they're going to think about those three things you told them. Mm. And they're going to think about what you asked them to do. And probably they'll do it. But if you come down on them, you know, for getting upset, then you've lost the three positives. Yeah. <laughs> and you've sort of ended the conversation. Yeah. But I think that's a great principle in our homes. And we've said this before, but start looking for the good. Yeah. That really makes an impact. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, I was just thinking, we've already talked about physical touch, but I know as a dad of three sons, when they were little boys, physical touch felt easy to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't grow up with a dad that was even in my home, so I didn't really have that. But when they were boys, I'm jumping in the bed with them. We're crawling around on the floor. You're we're wrestling. on the trampoline. Yeah. I'm hugging them. I'm kissing them on the cheek. I remember as they became men, you know, 14, 15, and you got close to their cheek and there was a beard starting, it felt awkward. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even on them as much as on me. Like, oh, do I hug them like I did when they were kids? Yeah. Well, it's going to be different. And but I felt myself pulling back like man to man. It's more of a, hey, fist bump, which obviously is okay. Mm-hmm. But they still want physical yeah. touch, right? Yeah, just in the right place. Yeah. In the right time. Yeah. And I think here, since you mentioned that, a lot of fathers of teenage daughters Mm. will pull back from hugging them or kissing them on the cheek because they've heard so much about sexual abuse and mm-hmm. they don't want to do anything wrong here, you know, and they pull right. back. And if their language is physical touch, I say to those fathers, if you don't give them hugs, they'll find an 18-year-old boy who will. Mm. Don't draw back. Don't draw back. Now, certainly, the sexual abuse thing, there's no place for right. that in, right. in, a, in a relationship. But giving them hugs, if, particularly if this is their language, giving them hugs and giving them a kiss on the cheek, they still need that from you. Yeah. What was your daughter? Was it awkward as she started to mature, as she's becoming a woman? Do you remember that phase? You know, her language was quality time, mm-hmm. and I really focused on that. Uh, I did hug her. You can kiss her, but not as often as I would if I'd have known she was physical touch was her thing. But, you know, she would always want to take walks with me after dinner. That was her favorite request was, Dad, mm. can we take a walk after That's dinner? so sweet. And we walked through the neighborhood and talked, you know, about everything and all that. And she loved it, you know. And I would take her out uh, once a month. I would take her to breakfast by herself. Of course, I did the same thing with my son, even though that was not his language. But. She looks back and says, you know, Dad, those breakfasts that we had together and the walks that we took together, that's what I remember. That, that's the highlight of, of, of what I remember. Mm. And t- kids will remember that. And if you don't speak their primary language, they'll also remember. God, remember that, Dad, you never touched me. Mm. You never hugged me. So it's important to learn the love language of the teenager. And how would we do that with a teen if we've never heard any of this yeah. and we have a teenager, this is new, how do we go about finding what it is? Three simple ways. One is to observe their behavior. How do they respond to you and other people? 
If you hear them affirming other people you know, verbally, then that's probably their language. Mm. If you see them giving gifts, then that's probably their language. If you see them spending quality time with someone else, then that's probably their language. So look at their behavior. And then secondly, what do they complain about most often? The complaint reveals their love language. If they complain that dad never comes to my ball games, dad's never here to talk with me, dad never takes a walk with me, dad never takes me fishing, dad never. They're complaining that they don't, they don't have any quality time with their dad. You see, we get irritated with their complaints, but they're really giving us valuable information. Mm. Listen to their complaints. And then what do they request most often? If, see, my daughter was asking me to take walks with her. My son never would walk with me. He said, walking is dumb. You're not going anywhere. If you're going somewhere, drive. <laughs> he would request, Dad, can we shoot some baskets after dinner? And the way we shot baskets, we would touch each other in the process of all of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you put those three things together, you can pretty well figure out a teenager's love language. But you can also go online and take a free quiz. for The, teen, the teenager can take a free quiz. It's at fivelovelanguages.com, the number five, fivelovelanguages.com. There's a quiz for married couples, there's a quiz for single adults, and there's a quiz for teenagers. Mm. I remember one of our sons, when he was a toddler, he was so clingy. I needed to hold him while I'm making dinner. I have to hold him when I'm doing things. But he would constantly, as he's whining, you know, that whining and I'm trying to get dinner. But he would constantly say, Mom, play with me. Mom, play with me. Mom, play with me. You know, I'm thinking, I don't have time to play with you. I have all (laughs) kinds of things to do. But after reading your book, I remember thinking, I just need to give him my focused attention, even if it's for 15 minutes. And so... At a certain time of day, I would say, let's spend 15 minutes together, just me, just you, and let's just play. And it was amazing how that changed the atmosphere. I'd give him that time, and then he was content. He'd play on his own. He'd do other things, and he wasn't nearly as needy of needing me or having me hold him. And I thought that was really helpful to see what they're complaining about or what they need. Absolutely. What about special gifts or gifts? You know, some of us as parents would say, every teenager, that's all they want, (laughs) buy them stuff. But obviously, you know, that's not true. But how do you you respond to a teenager where that's their love language? Yeah. Well, I think this love language, gifts, can be uh, tricky Mm. because there is no question about it. In our culture, teens are driven for things. And I say to the parent, if their love language is gifts, don't think that you have to give them everything they ask for. You're the parent. You give them gifts you think would be good for them. That's what God does for us. Mm. God doesn't give us everything we ask for. I'm grateful for that. He gives us what he thinks is good for us. And so don't let the teenager you know, manipulate you and say, well, if you really love me, you know, this is my love language and you would buy me. The, you know, no, don't let them <laughs> manipulate you. When they do that, you say, honey, I love you too much to give you that right now. I don't think you're ready for that. Maybe in another year or two, but you're not ready for that right now. And I love you too much to give that to you. Mm. So don't don't feel like you have to give them everything they ask for. Uh, but I do think what you want to do is find out things in which they are interested in. If they're into sports, for example, and there's some cards that they, you know, they collect cards, you keep your eye out for cards that would be interesting for them. Or whatever their interest is, you think you keep that in mind. They don't have to be expensive things. If gifts is their language, you can pick up a stone in a city parking lot (laughs) and give it to a 15-year-old boy and say, hey, man, I found this today. I thought about you. Look at the colors here, man. If gifts is his language, when he's 23, 
you'll find that stone in his dresser drawer, and he'll remember the day you gave it to him. So it's just things that I was thinking about you, and I wanted you to have this, you know. So One of our son's love language is gifts, and he remembers every single Christmas gift. Yeah. I don't remember anything. <laughs> I don't remember what I got two days ago, but he remembers every gift. And as we started discovering this, he was a teenager. I think he was turning 16. Dave and I were going to be out of town for his birthday. We felt so bad. But he'd been wanting a game system, this video game system for ages. And we had finally saved some money. We thought this is going to be the year we give him. So we we had a pro athlete, because Dave was the chaplain for the Detroit Lions, who lived close to us, and we had wrapped this game system up in a nice little package, and we had Luther Ellis go to the door where CJ was in class in high school, knocked on the door and said, happy birthday, CJ, and handed him this gift <laughs> in school, in class. The teacher let it happen. He will never Oh, yeah. <laughs> because he likes gaming and he's right. been waiting for a long time to get this game system. He still talks about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, now at Christmas time, gifts will show up from Amazon or whatever on our front porch. And I'm like, what is this? He goes, oh, CJ already bought his Christmas present from us. <laughs> <laughs> so he just come to our house and we can wrap them. But give them still, to him. we still can get him things. And you're right. It could be something that's not that expensive, yeah. but something that we've watched him and we know this would be meaningful. And he's so grateful. Yeah. Where yeah. other kids might look at it and think, oh, thanks. But for him, it's a big deal. Oh, yeah. It's huge. It's huge. Well, yeah. what about we haven't talked about acts of service? It's the acts only one service. I think we have left. Yeah. Acts of service is doing something for the teenager that you know they would like for you to do. You know, we do this when they're children. You have to speak this language when they're little because mm -hmm. they can't do anything. Right. You know, so we do everything for them. As they get to be teenagers, we also speak this language by teaching them to do things for themselves. So you take their interest. If they're interested, for example, in cooking, then you spend time teaching them how to cook. That is a huge act of service. Mm. Our granddaughter, at the age of 14, could cook a full meal. <laughs> and from that point on, she cooked every one of her birthday cakes because she wanted to decorate <laughs> it her way, you know. So teaching them to do things for themselves. Listen, I encourage parents to think in terms of what would I like my children to be able to do by the time they're 18 years old? Because at 18, typically, they're going off to college are they going to join the military? Are they going to get a job? You know, we hope they're going to do something. So by the time they get to be 18, what would you like for them to know how to do? And let the teenager tell you things that they would like to learn how to do. Hmm. Maybe they'd like to learn how to change a tire on a car. Well, they're not going to learn that at the university or in the military. Hmm. Yeah. So whatever their interest is, teach them to do these things. You know, I was speaking to a group of uh, professional football players some time ago, and around the table... Uh, it was just four or five couples. And one of them said, Dr. Chapman, you know, here's the thing. We've been thinking about what we're going to do when we age out of football. Because the only thing we know how to do is play football. Ever since we were kids, that's all we've known how to do. And every one of them chimed in and said the same thing. Mm -hmm. And one of them said, I'm teaching my son how to run a lawnmower because <laughs> I never <laughs> learn. <laughs> so this language is spoken not only by doing things for the teenager, and certainly there will be things you could do for them, but also, teaching them to do things that they would like to learn how to do themselves. Mm. We've been around a three-year-old grandson a lot the last few days, and we both know this about him. If we have a job to do, he wants to be right with us. So, 
We said, hey, Bryce, you want to wash the car with us? He's ecstatic. Oh, yeah. You know, he's helping us, and he'll say this, what else can I help you with? Mm. What else do we need to do? Do we have some jobs to do? So kind of watching that, would you say he probably has? Yeah, I would guess that's his language. Yeah. Yeah. Because Jenna, his mom, said, if I need a little time for myself, I'll say to Bryce, do you want to do the dishes? And he'll stand up there for 15 minutes doing the dishes, <laughs> fully content, so happy. And so that's a really good clue. Yeah. If you find your kids loving yeah. chores around the house or helping you do the laundry, that could be maybe yeah, absolutely. their love language. Absolutely. Listening to you talk about that inspires me. Of course, my kids are older and you're, so are yours. But if I'm a young parent or even have kids coming into the teenage years, I should be, want to be the expert on my kids. No teacher, no friend should know them better than I do. And that's like you said earlier, opening your eyes, watching, and then taking action based on what you see. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great step for a parent. You know, parents can learn the child's love language by the time they are three or four years old Mm. by observing their behavior. My son's love language is physical touch. When he was that age, I would come home in the afternoon. He would run to the door, grab my leg, and climb all over me. Mm. He's touching me because he wants to be touched. Our daughter never did that. At that age, she would say, Daddy, come into my room. I want to show you something. She wanted quality time. Mm. She wanted my undivided attention. So it's there very early for parents of young children. The love language is there very early. And you can discover it simply by observing their behavior. to thank David Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Marriage is a beautiful thing when it's working well, but when it's not, it can stretch us beyond what we ever thought possible. Would you be willing to contribute to our Save a Marriage Fund, used to help sponsor everyday Australian couples who are on the brink? To give a gift, please navigate to our website at families.powertochange.org.au under the Helping Couples tab. Until tomorrow at the same time, God's richest blessings on your family. 